Good morning, everyone. The reading is from the wonderful book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 to 21. And it's on page 1180 in your Pew Bibles. But whatever were gains to me now, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the unsurpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the miracles we saw worked in Martin's life over the last two, three years. And we ask your blessing on him now as he brings your word to us and open our hearts and our eyes and ears that we may hear you speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. And I, I really am delighted to be here with you and able to stand up and speak, 
because as looking around, just about all of you know, it has been a time of trial for Susie and myself, as Libby has been saying, over a few years now with, with my health issues and the strange things that have been happening with my heart that have uh, baffled heart experts and they hadn't, didn't have a clue what to do. And these things could easily have proved fatal. But here I am. <laughs> and I am so glad to be able to have this chance to say thank you to so many of you who have been praying for Susie and myself uh, during this season and particularly at the, the harder times. So many people have, were praying for us and it, it has been such a marvelous experience to know that prayer going on. So if you have been praying for us, thank you from the bottom of my newly restored heart. <laughs> well, thank you. But because this is, has obviously been a season of trials for Susie and myself, uh, actually not just the heart, though we've had plenty of other things going on as well, still ongoing, but particularly with this heart issue that so many of you are so familiar with, I really felt as I was praying about what to speak about today that it should include something about life's trials. And as I prayed further, well, the Holy Spirit emphasized the book of Philippians. And Susie unexpectedly read a little chunk from Philippians, but actually could have asked her to read the whole book because I'm going to be uh, referring to it all. But obviously, that's quite a, quite a chunk of scripture to be working with. And it's a huge topic to be dealing with as well, life's trials. So basically, only going to be really dipping our toes into the subject. There's so much that could be looked at, could be said. But I want to look particularly at life's trials because, well, we've all in this church been affected by trials as Libby said at the start, it's something that is just part of being alive. And we know of different situations in our own lives, in the life of the church and the people in the church, where we have been facing trials. And the book of Philippians was written by Paul to people who were suffering. And he himself was suffering they were all facing trials. So what does Paul say in this situation? Well, first of all, let's look at the story that comes across as you, as you look through the book of Philippians and you put all the pieces together. Well, Paul is in prison. He's probably in Rome. Don't know if he was just under house, house arrest but chained to a guard or whether he was actually in a jail but he's waiting to be tried. And the outcome of that trial will either be he'll be put to death or he will be acquitted. It's a tough situation. Will he die? Will he live? 
It's actually one I can relate to from my experience with my heart. It was unknown what would happen. I could have died at any time, but here I am. And Paul, in that situation, actually preferred the idea of death. He's gone through a lot of trials in his life, but it's not that that makes him prefer death. It's because he will be with Jesus. And going to be with Jesus to him is far better than remaining here on earth. But he knew that the church needed him. And so he knew that he would stay. But meantime, being, prov- being in prison, he had to be provided for. It's not like it is now with when people are in prison, they get fed and looked after and all their needs are met. But in those days, it was the prisoner himself or the people he was in relationship with who had to provide for his food and any other needs that he had. And it seems that for some reason, as we look at the end of the letter, the local Christians either hadn't been, well, they hadn't been able to help him with his needs, either because they simply couldn't or because they didn't want to. So he must have been feeling tremendously let down (laughs) that he was in a place where there were other Christians. He was in need. He sometimes went hungry, but he says that he'd learned to be content in that situation. And we know that things weren't completely right between him and the local Christians because he says that some local Christians were stirring up trouble for him by preaching the gospel. That Their motive for preaching the gospel wasn't to see people come to know Jesus particularly, but it was actually to cause trouble for Paul while he was in prison. That's a pretty horrible situation. So that's part of what's going on, on Paul's side. What about the Philippians then? Well, they were the first church that Paul had started in Europe. And Paul had actually been in prison while he was with them too. He, we can read that book, uh, in the book of Acts about that. And it seems that now they are facing similar opposition. They are still suffering opposition and in other ways too in their situation. And yet all the way through, the, the Philippians have supported Paul. As he's gone out on missionary journeys, they've been sending him support many times. And now that they've discovered that he's in prison and where he is, they have sent one of their own people, a guy called Epaphroditus, with a gift to Paul to help feed him, to help look after him, and to give him practical help as well. But then the Philippians have heard that Epaphroditus has been seriously ill. And he almost died, in fact. So Paul is now sending him back to the Philippians with this letter. And we see also in the church in Philippi, because of the contents of the letter, that there's disagreement going on within the church. There are two prominent women in particular who seem to be antagonized by each other in some way. 
So to summarize the story that we have here, Paul is suffering in prison in a situation he doesn't know if he will live or die facing trial. People in the church are opposing him, stirring up trouble. And he can quite easily feel let down by the lack of support from local Christians. And there are times when he's gone hungry. So the Christians too in Philippi are suffering. They have their concern for their sick fellow member Epaphroditus. And there are disagreements within the church. And perhaps we can relate to some of those things. The sick people in our church or in our family. Disagreements that have happened within the church. People in the church letting us down to some extent. Not supporting us, causing us trouble. Different things that I think if we look over the past short while, different people in this church have experienced. So with Paul and the Philippians facing these trials, what does Paul say to them? So let's look again at Philippians 3. I'll just look at 7 and 8 to start with. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So Paul has thought back to the time that he had everything he wanted as a deeply religious Jew. That's what he's just been talking about in the letter. When he had status, he had respect, he had authority, he had power. The things that he really wanted, he had them all. Yet now he's a helpless prisoner. He's lost everything. But he knows Jesus. He knows Jesus. He's united with Jesus. And that is far more to Paul than anything he had before. Anything that he could be offered. And he knows that this Jesus is with him in all that he is going through. Earlier in, the, in his letter, he described something of who Jesus is, the Jesus who is with him. It comes in chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Jesus, sorry, some of you are looking up, I'll repeat that. Philippians 2, 6 to 11. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's this Jesus that Paul is so excited to know. The Jesus who, although he was seated in heaven with his Father, saw our situation, our trials, our suffering here on earth. He saw our desperate need in our separation from God. And he didn't just simply stay where he was with the Father. Instead, he humbled himself and made himself nothing, sharing in our sufferings and then taking all our wrongdoings, all our sin upon himself, becoming obedient to death. It's this Jesus who Paul is so excited about knowing. Not only full of compassion and love, and the, the willingness and desire to come and be with us and live like us and experience our lives. But then this Jesus, who Paul goes on to say, has been raised up by the Father again to be seated with him and now has all authority and all power. So it's not just the love and compassion of Jesus that Paul is excited about. It's his, his power, his authority. He has the, the ability to change situations and put everything right. And one day that will happen fully. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so Jesus is Paul's focus. Jesus is what Paul is living for. Knowing Jesus, knowing who he is, that is so vital to Paul. I wonder what else Paul was thinking about in those times in prison. Someone who's so steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. And I'm sure that some of the time he was thinking about other descriptions of Jesus that we find in the Old Testament. Ursula spoke to us the other week about Isaiah 61, verses 1 onwards, Jesus' manifesto, as it were, that describes who Jesus is and what he does. I'll just remind us of that. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is what Jesus is like. The Jesus who came to be with us, who is now the exalted Lord. Someone who, what, who preaches good news to the poor, proclaims that there is good news for us. He binds us up when we're broken hearted, frees us when we're captives, releases 
prisoners from darkness, tells us this is the year of the Lord's favor. He comforts those who are mourning, provides for those who are grieving, and gives us beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning. What a wonderful picture of who Jesus is. His heart towards us. His heart towards each one of us. And so what is a fitting response if we know that this Jesus is with us in our trials? Well, Paul, in his suffering... In prison, with his opposition from local Christians, with his times of going hungry, Paul writes to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's quite an ask, really, sometimes, not to be anxious to rejoice in Jesus despite all that you are going through. Continually be coming to God, be coming to Jesus and presenting our request to him. But it's what I experienced through my trial with my heart situation. As I said, the, the specialists didn't know what to do about it. And I could easily have died. Well, first of all, I had three liters of fluid around my heart that I was carrying around with me for a long time without even knowing it. And some doctors are amazed that with those three liters, I survived and that there's very little damage to my heart. Don't know if you can imagine three liters inside you pressing in on your heart. Quite a situation. But that was caused by an artery that should have been about the size of a shoelace but had now grown to this sort of thickness. Quite remarkable. And because it was still growing, it could burst at any time. And if it burst, that would be the end of me. I could have died at any time in the midst of that. But not only that... That artery, because of its expansion, was sending blood into a wrong part of the heart. A new passageway had formed into the wrong part of the heart. And a huge amount of blood was pouring high pressure into the part of the heart that's only supposed to have low pressure blood. That could have killed me. (laughs) Or at least seriously damaged my heart. But the specialists didn't know quite what to do because what would be the consequences if they did fix that? If they did block off this short circuit, what would happen to the artery? 
Or what, how would the heart respond to suddenly having something completely different going on with, with inside it? Inside it? it they weren't at all sure. They, some of them, there's one particular specialist who seemed frightened to actually do anything just in case it all went horribly wrong. So that, again, was a dangerous situation. And even when they eventually did operate on me, as many of you know, I was bleeding Afterwards, when they started my heart up again, blood was coming out everywhere, it seemed. And it took them three to four hours to stop the bleeding. I mean, so many times where if it hadn't been for Jesus with me through all of this, then I I wouldn't be here now. But before all of this, Jesus had said to me several times, fear not, I am with you. And I guess over my life I've been through several uh, trials together with Jesus and I've known his faithfulness in those trials. I've known that what it says, that what Paul writes in Philippians and what Isaiah writes too about Jesus I know that's true. And so because I knew Jesus was with me and he said fear not, I can, I can honestly say that I went through all this experience knowing an amazing supernatural peace, the peace that passes all understanding. And I didn't have any anxiety now, that's not a normal situation. I mean, for example, I've had anxiety about preaching today. <laughs> but in that huge situation, that huge trial, through knowing Jesus, knowing his love, knowing his promise to me and his faithfulness to his promises, I didn't fear. I could have been wrong because... I really felt that I would come through it, that I would survive. But I could have got that wrong. <laughs> but I, I knew at the same time, I suppose a bit like Paul, that if I, if I did die and go to be with Jesus, actually, <laughs> that would be far better for me. And so I didn't have anxiety in that sense about dying. But I have really felt that despite all the uncertainty about what could happen to me, that Jesus was with me in that trial. And I don't have time to go into it in any sort of detail now, but another theme comes comes through from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and that is his encouraging them so much to show concern for one another, to put the interests of one another first. And for me, in particular, the prayers that I had from people within this church, (laughs) many of you, as well as people actually spread across the globe from Vancouver in British Columbia and Canada all the way across to places like Nepal, maybe even further, and down in other places in Africa, people were praying for me. 
as I was seemingly bleeding to death, there were people who stayed up through the night praying for me. To me, is quite amazing. And that actually is another way of helping me to know God, to know Jesus through my trials, through my suffering. And that's another really significant way, knowing the love of Jesus expressed through his people. And Paul knew that as well. Paul knew the Philippians cared for him as they had supported him time and time in the past. Now, as he's in prison, he receives support from them. And he wants to continue to bless them. He's saying, I'm not going to be going to heaven now. (laughs) I'm going to be continuing with you because I want what's best for you, not what's best for me. I want to bless you as you are going through these trials. But all the time, his focus is on Jesus. In this letter, there are about 100 verses in the letter, and it's about 50 times that he refers to Jesus or the Christ or Savior, Lord. His focus is entirely on Jesus, and he wants to know him. He wants to press on to know Jesus more. No matter what is going on in his life, what trials he's facing, he wants to know Jesus And I know from my personal experience through this time of trials that knowing Jesus with me, that is what has kept me going. Jesus with me through his Holy Spirit directly, Jesus with me through his body, his people. It's been a wonderful experience for me, even though it's been tough, it's been wonderful And our trials, they're not easy. Other people have been facing pretty horrible trials at the moment. But my encouragement is Jesus, the wonderful Jesus, who cares for us so much. He is with us in these trials. So let's press on to know him in the midst of all that is going on. Let's pray. Jesus, I stand here so grateful to you for your love, your concern, your faithfulness to your promises, and the fact that you have been with me through everything I have faced. And Lord, I pray for each of us as we continue through the different trials that we face in this life. I pray that we would be able, like Paul, to keep our focus on you. To be able to rejoice in you, the wonderful God that you are. And to know the peace that you have to give us throughout any kind of trial as we present our request to you, as we continue to look to you and put our faith in you. So thank you that you are with us. 
Thank you that you love us. And thank you for the reality of your power and your peace at work in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.